Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just always remember, I do it to myself, too. Uh, it's not just you that gets scared. It's me. Welcome to the show. It's 6.58 p.m. It's a Tuesday night. It's May 17th, 2022. And I'm just here in my broadcast studio, broadcasting from the docks of the old parachute factory, built from the ground up. Well, I mean, I guess built from the walls in. But, uh, you know, doing our thing. In one way or another, slowly building up since 2006. So I don't know when along the way you jumped on to the, uh, the haunted hayride over here, but welcome. It's so happy to have you. I'm so happy to have you. I'm sure it is what is as well. I'm feeling a lot better today. It was only a 24-hour stomach thing, but I shouldered through it, and we got another great episode on the books. I understand that for the first portion of the day, that was only a 17-minute episode that was uploaded to all the podcast platforms. I don't know why that happened, but... When it was brought to my attention, I went and re-downloaded, re-encoded, uh, re and then put it out. So there should be the hour, 17-minute long episode from last night should be back up on SoundCloud, which then goes RSSs out to everywhere else. So enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And tonight will be an enjoyable evening as well, although it will be one that is going to tug on the heartstrings, maybe make you uh, quite a bit angry but also just give you a little bit of a more of a, a chance to reestablish and keep focus on what's really going on around us and to never let that stuff go. And that is, of course, how the world has been taken over, namely in the last couple of years through the guise of a, uh, of a bug. And the story that we're going to hear tonight is not one that is, un that is unfamiliar to you all because many of you have had to live through this with your family members and everybody else who has been completely mangled by the so-called healthcare system, the hospital systems, protocols, this and that, that we've all uh, been sent running for the hills trying to stock up on whatever we can to treat ourselves for one ailment or another at home to be able to avoid, um, you know, compulsory medicine or ventilation or God knows what else, where advocacy is so hard to establish, where power of attorney doesn't do that, that much for you, and, uh, and access is completely limited. So that's where we are today. And if, and if, it, if you don't go into a hospital with flu-like sy symptoms and you need a kidney transplant or something like that, then they have you there too. Oh, well, we can't give you this organ that you need unless you jump through all of these new CV hoop hoops Jump through the CV hoops. Corona this, virus that. So we're doing these little trade-offs here. And tonight we have a really, really um, wonderful guy who represents a very tight-knit and um, wonderful American family. His name is Scott Shara, who's coming to share the story of his daughter Grace's life and her death at the hands of the healthcare system in 2021. Um, and, uh, it's, it'll be just enough for a night like tonight. 
So thank you all so much for coming along for this ride. I want to just say thank you to my sponsor, SecretNatureCBD.com. If you're talking about how to keep your at-home medicine chest nice and stocked full of good uh, health-affirming supplements and also a nice way of giving your nervous system a vacation in times that are so nerve-wracking, SecretNatureCBD.com, a wonderful array of products cultivated by professionals who have been in the cannabis business for over 20 years. It is high, high in CBD, low, low in THC, so it's legal to ship in all 50 states. It does not get you stoned, but it is still of the earth, and it is still godly, very godly plant. So thank you, SecretNatureCBD.com. Use promo code FRANKLY for 20% off of that order as many times you put the order in. So that we have, that's what we have here tonight. Scott Shara is on the show. Tomorrow night, Chris Ann Hall. Rob will be back on the 19th. Friday night is pretty open right now. Saturday night, I will not be going live. Probably next Saturday, the 28th. This Saturday is me and Lauren's... Which, how, many, how many years? Five? Half a decade. Five years of marriage. Mariage. Five years of mariage. Unbelievable. Uh, we are 15. We are 15 badasses in to June already. Okay? Um, so remember, June, the month of June is badass month over here. Since everybody has their own uh, parallel political calendars, we're just going to make our own broadcast calendar. June is badass month. We have 15 nominees for badass of the night. We do those all throughout the month. So we have to get to about 22. So please keep sending those in. We've got a lot of vets. We've got a lot of war heroes. We're going to try to space those out. We already have a few war heroes that have been set aside for 2023 because it can't be every night is Vietnam and World War II. There's so much stuff going on in the world throughout all eras, people that did extraordinary things, explorers, whatever the hell, anybody, any badasses from history, male, female, uh, dogs, pigeons. Remember, we had Wojtek, the Polish bear from World War II. Um, we had, what's his name? The pigeon, the carrier pigeon from World War I. I know that those, those are war vets still, but I'm just saying it goes beyond the human species. You know? You see what I mean here? Okay. Well, that's what we have. Uh, a lot of that is is still open. We have about five to seven more picks that we need, so keep them coming. They've been really awesome so far. And there you have it. I have one more announcement here from Jerry. Jerry writes in about the about Rumble being on Roku, which is big for, big out there because I always thought about I want to be on Roku. And yeah, it would be great to have a quite frankly app on Roku one day. But Jerry writes in and says, Frank, you asked about Rumble on Roku last night. It's quite simple. On the Roku platform, you go to streaming channel section, then search channels, type in Rumble, and then select the Rumble app. It's a free app. You can add it, you open it up, you go to search channels, you type in, quite frankly, on the Rumble app, and subscribe to, quite frankly, there. And that's as, that's as easy as it is. Jerry says, I've been using it for some time now due to all the crap with YouTube. Very stable, good application on the Roku platform. So, there you go. For those of you out there who are like, I want to, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to have this on my television, but I just don't want to be reliant on YouTube for anything anymore. Well, there you have it. Roku has Rumble. I know that there's a, I know that there's plenty of roads that lead to Roku, 
and I've had some I've had a couple of really great friends of the show that send in have sent in um you know uh thoughts and advice on how to do that and I've uh I, I just I'm always just so pressed for time you have no clue what I have on my to-do list always so pressed for time so when I learned about something like this which is already established it's it's there already and all you have to do is go search us then at least I can get that that out to everybody who's been waiting with bated breath for a Roku option for the show. Because there was a time there that it sounded like we were going to be brought on to Strike TV. But that didn't happen. So enjoy. Enjoy on Roku. All right. First things up. Here we go. On the grab bag. Yahoo. From Yahoo. So you know it's going to be good. After Buffalo, will social media companies... Will they finally ban great replacement theory? The Buffalo, New York mass shooting that claimed 10 lives Saturday was an event shaped by and for internet platforms, including message boards and streaming social media sites. They just want everybody to be completely locked down. They, if they can keep you off the internet, which obviously if they can just control all the internet, it's, it's much better than pamphleteering. Because they would lo- really love for you to stay locked inside your house, afraid of every uh, germ that is, uh, that is outside the bounds of your front lawn. And only getting information that is delivered to you by pamphlet from the DNC. Actually, it's not even a... Uh, a it's, it's very bipartisan in that respect. But still, they're going after their, uh, their favorite punching bag in the media, one of the only voices that... Um, that has a chance at ruffling some feathers from time to time, at least, and that's Tucker Carlson for espousing the great replacement theory, which it's not a theory. It's an openly celebrated conspiracy. Conspiracy does not equate to not true. Conspiracy are people conspiring together for a certain endgame. All right, they have been celebrating, celebrating what illegal immigration means for uh, for leftist hegemony here in the uh, in in uh, in America alone, what that means for electoral dominance for years to come alone, and on top of that, they have also been juxtaposing that against the the ever declining white uh, population of European descent in the United States. It, it, it's almost like. You turn on the television sometimes or go on to Mother, uh, Mother Jones or any of these other crazy crackpot fucking places. And when they, start talking, when they start talking about replacement theory, it's not a theory, it's the replacement operation. And how they're so head over heels that there is a declining white population. It's like watching the ball drop on New Year's Eve. That's literally how they treat it. But if you, if you acknowledge it, if you acknowledge it, oh man, that's a... That's a that's a horrible thing. I mean, in in Europe, we know that the replacement in Europe is different than the replacement here in the Western Hemisphere. But I've brought I've brought uh, people like this witch up many times. Barbara Lerner has been saying that Europe needs to be essentially destroyed in order to be saved for decades now. And now you have Finland, you have Sweden. Turkey was very nice about how they diagnosed their problems out there for sure. Absolutely. The thing is that they just like their rape victims to be completely subdued while they're molesting them. That's it. No, no, no protesting while we molest you. No protesting. We'll start complaining that you're complaining. That's what they're doing. They're complaining that we're complaining. 
Anyway, and, 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 re and remember, it doesn't even mean anything when it comes to skin color, essentially. They're bringing in people that have absolutely no allegiance to one place's way of life and their culture that is based on a creed, not, not based on skin. Nobody that they are importing by the millions now, it is a mad dash by the millions. Nobody that they're importing gives a flying fuck about the United States and its constitution because they don't. Replacement is only one part of the operation. The second part of the operation is replace and destroy what was the United States, what was once democratic traditional Europe, and then after that, they reduce everybody's populations. You think, they, you think that these people, you think Chuck Schumer with his hunchback and his cotton mouth, you think Dracula with the hunchback from New York, Chuck Schumer gives a shit about all the unwashed masses coming over the Texas and Arizona, New Mexico border, you think he gives a shit? But he's out there. Look at this, Chuck Schumer. Tucker Carlson invited me on his show tonight to debate the letter I sent to Fox News. I'm declining. Tucker Carlson needs to stop promoting the racist, dangerous replacement theory. Well, then, then stop running the replacement operation and denying it's going on, even though you celebrate it at the same time. You psychopaths! And then you have uh, my, my, my beaver woman governor. There she is. Well, she's not showing her chompers there. Then you'd know exactly why she's the beaver lady. Uh, you know, she's hiding something. Maybe wood chips in those fucking cheeks of hers. New York Governor Kathy Hochul suggests Twitch is an accomplice. Twitch is an accomplice to the Buffalo mass shooting. Quote, they can get, they can, in a sense, become an accomplice if not legally, but morally. Which is ironic since she has been an enthusiastic moral and legal accomplice to far more widespread abuses in New York under the guise of the germ. This is from reclaimthenet.org. If you're tired of censorship, can call, New York Governor Kathy Hochul accused Twitch of being an accomplice. <laughs> you know what they should do? They should do, um, she's very bright, very bright woman. They should actually add in, Twitch should add in a pop-up every time someone is about to go live and launch a stream, asking the streamer if they're about to go on a televised killing spree. Problem solved. Because they will be compelled to say yes, and then they won't be allowed to televise it. Oh, you worthless beaver woman. You worthless beaver. What else is there to say? What else is there to say? All right. Well, um, oh, there's one more thing to say. Speaking of people who can't find the words, sometimes I can't find the words. New York, the New York Times can't find the words on other days. The New York Times, this is from Zero Hedge, blasted for writing Ukrainian fighters have evacuated, didn't surrender. The New York Times, Mariupol, uh, that, that's pretty much a, a done deal, as we all knew it was going to be. The New York Times is coming under heavy criticism, criticism for announcing the end of the lengthy Russian siege of the uh, Asval uh, steel plant in Mariupol, Ukraine, with the below tweet and headline saying, Ukraine ended its combat mission in Mariupol on Monday. Objectively, they were evacuated. 
to Russian-controlled territory by Russian forces, and the wounded were taken to a Russian-controlled hospital. The anti-humanitarians that they are, the Russians, in this case at least. Here's, uh, here's the, the New York Times. Breaking news, Ukraine ended its combat mission in Mariupol and said fighters were being evacuated. So it means surrender. It means surrender. That's what it means. But, um, <laughs> but you just can't say it. The word that they were looking for is surrender. You see, they aren't losing the war against Russia. They aren't losing the war against Russia, despite the endless flow of money and missiles and this desperate last-minute uh, expansion of NATO. No, sir. It's just that the combat mission had ended. Merely ended. That's all. Now, let's send another $100 billion to President Stiletto. I'm, I'm surprised that they actually didn't say that this was a moral victory. Speaking of moral this and that. I'm surprised they didn't call this a moral victory. That's the only thing that, that, that's missing. Then this is purely like uh, like uh, people on ESPN doing uh, breakdowns of New York's Jets games. where they, Obviously, they didn't win, but you have to find out what's the moral victory here. Oh, well, they only had two fumbles, two turnovers instead of ten. So obviously, they're controlling the ball a lot better. So maybe in a couple of years after the next rebuilding cycle, they'll be able to get through the first round of the playoffs. Doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll drive through um, Rye, New York tomorrow, and some of its more uh, wealthy parts of Rye, New York, and, uh, and th- there'll be 100, there'll probably be 100 yoga moms waving Ukrainian flags in front of the library celebrating. The combat vision has ended! They probably think, think it's a victory. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many Ukrainian flags around here. Houses you've never seen. The stars and stripes flown even in July. I can't tell you how many retards are around here. Uh, Well, it's the primary elections in Pennsylvania today. We'll see what becomes of that pukey Trump endorsement of Dr. Oz. We should know that by later on tonight, not by the time we end this show, though. Are you in Pennsylvania? Did you vote? What are you thinking about everything? You can super chat that in so I can read it. Uh, onto the record before we sign off tonight. If not, you can always just email me and I'll read it into the record tomorrow night when we're back for the Wednesday night show. All right, with that being said, we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Ladies and gentlemen, it's a time 
So, we're back here on a Tuesday evening. I welcome you all. I'm feeling, like I said, 100% better from yesterday. I don't know what the hell is going on around here, but at least it was only 24 hours because I was not taking another week off. I would have dragged myself here every night, and uh, I don't know. It just didn't matter. I would have done this show last night even if I was Hector Salamanca. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys, <laughs> some of you get the reference. Just talking out of the side of my mouth. I would have done this show ringing a bell the whole night in Morse code. But now I feel great, and I'm happy that I do, because I, I want to, I, I've been waiting to speak with our guest tonight for a while now, since he was introduced to me um, by you know, a, a random uh, viewer in, in the audience. And I said, please, please, yes, hook me up with, with Scott Shara, who's got a, a, a harrowing story to tell, of course, but it's never without, it's never without that opening at the, that open end of where do we go from here, and what do we do together? Because this is something that's affecting us all. And um, no, no uh, story is, is less tragic than, than the next. But I, I got to tell you, it's when you can put a, a, human, a human face to these things instead of just looking at statistics all day, that is something that is, I think, far more helpful and a, and a lot more impactful. And I want, to, um, I want to take a moment to tell you real quick who we have coming on. And I'm just going to read this from OurAmazingGrace.net. This is the website that I want you all to go to tonight during the show, after the show, and check out the, the, um, the initiative that has been set forth by Scott and his, and his family. And it's all about his daughter, Grace. His daughter, Grace. I'm going to read from the tragedy behind the hospital that killed Grace. Just about a, a paragraph here. Grace Shara, a beautiful 19-year-old girl with Down syndrome, died on October 13th at a COVID hospital, a hospital following the government treatment protocols that continue to fail at preventing COVID deaths. Many hospitals are committed to following what the government dictates and receive financial benefits by doing so. Grace's case highlights many abuses along with the dangers of financial temptation. This is a tragic story that can help wake us up to what is happening in many hospitals today and turn us to the only one who can truly fix this mess. And I, uh, I believe the only one being God. Uh, Scott, are you there? I am. Can you hear me okay, Frank? I can hear you just fine. And I, I really appreciate the time that you're, you're taking with everybody here tonight. Your, uh, the story of your family, what you, uh, what you all have endured, and how you have um, turned this into something that, that can really bring hope and clarity to people who are, like I said before, drowning in statistics and not real human stories, is really remarkable. And I'd, uh, I'd love to just give you a little bit of time here to describe, you know, to, to talk about Grace, who she was, um, your family life, everything up until uh, 2021. Yeah, so Grace, uh, we decided to have Grace as an act of obedience. Uh, amazingly, we were 39 years old. We had a 12-year span between Jessica, our, our daughter, and, and Grace. We had Travis before that, and then Jessica, and then a 12-year span. And uh, we decided to turn turn that piece of our life over to God and see what would happen. And uh, he blessed us with Grace. We named her Grace after God's grace. And uh, she, she definitely knew the Lord. She called me earthly dad. And when she found out she was named after God's grace, she would proudly tell people that she was named after one of God's principles. 
and uh, she was she was a pure joy. Um, she changed our entire life. Anybody who's ever been associated with or has a Down syndrome child knows they are an absolute gift from God. They have unconditional love. The best way I could describe it is that most of my waking hours, I'm a jerk, and Grace loved me in spite of that. You know, she didn't. She didn't care, um, and you know, she just she was a great, great kid. Well, I gotta say, Scott, from what you have sent me, um, seeing that she um, and and I know I know that experience you uh, you, you speak of there, and it, and just through the pictures and the videos, there is a very clean joy that just emanates. And it, she seems like she lived a very full life. The, the helicopter rides, uh, the, you know, t- target practice. I know m- most people in my life has never fired a rifle in their lives, and they always wanted to. So I, uh, it, it's, uh, it's really just been incredible to, to in any way, shape, or form, I- experience what your family dynamic has been, and, uh, and it makes this, this story even, even uh, more, more, you know, horrible to, to learn about. But let's, let's, let's talk about this. Going up into 2021, what happened here? Did she start getting sick? Was she had flu symptoms? What happened that actually led you to think, all right, maybe we should go to a doctor? Yeah, great, great question. So we were fully prepared at home with the frontline doctor's protocol. Grace was on zinc, vitamin D, C, everything beforehand. And we had the attitude that any sniffle was COVID. So what we did is on September 28th, once Grace had a sniffle, we put her on ivermectin. And so we really didn't think anything of it. We thought we'd walk through COVID because we were prepared. Um, On October 6th, Grace's oxygen was not, her her oxygen saturation was not able to be maintained above 90%. And that triggered us thinking it's, it's an emergency. So we took her to the emergency room and you know that becomes one of the take-home messages here is and that is if i would have known then what i know today we would have still taken her to the emergency room but we would have never admitted her to the hospital and that's simply because we could have taken her home with a prescription for oxygen and a steroid and grace would be alive today and i say that with a hundred percent confidence because i went into a different hospital three days after grace died with symptoms three to four times is worse than grace. I couldn't keep my my breath. I, I was gasping for air. And um, that hospital used a completely opposite protocol and turned me around where I almost died the first night in 24 hours, I knew I was gonna live. And it's because they didn't follow the protocol that was used with grace. Uh, so a, a question people would have at this point is if we're following the frontline doctor's protocol, why did we end up in the hospital? both Grace and I, and, you know, I have invested tons of hours, you know, I have well in excess of 500 hours of research now, Frank, and as you can tell by the website with with all the things that are on there, but one of the things that got researched early on was why did Grace and I end up in the hospital? And Dr. Chetty from South Africa answered that equation, and he, by going through and documenting 8,000 COVID uh, patients of his, he discerned that if you have a genetic disposition for producing inflammation and clotting, that's going to produce low oxygen. And I have both of those as genetic dispositions, which I knew before COVID. 
So it would be logical that Grace inherited those from me as opposed to my wife, Cindy, hmm. who she had symptoms worse than Grace and I, uh, not gasping for air, but you know her, her symptoms were worse, and, but her oxygen never went below 95%. So now you, you go to the hospital and they present you with a, uh, with, with a choice to admit Grace. And you Correct. say, okay. Now, when, when did you start realizing, or when did you start having, uh, when did you start seeing that the staff treatment and the presiding hospital protocols were giving you cause for concern? When did this start? Because everything from start to finish here, um, it seems to have happened in a really short period of time. So the acceleration must have been incredible. W w w tell us about this time that she that was going on in the, the hospital, because people want to know exactly what the experience is like, w w how, how meticulous some of the, um, the, the, the treatments are. And, and when I say treatment, I'm not even talking about medicines, the treatment of people, how, how information is withheld, um, well, you know, uh, completely shrugging of responsibility for one thing or another. I know that you had a, in a, um, a uh, confrontation with nurses about oxygen testing going on uh, a couple of days into her stay at the hospital. Just bring us through the whole timeline here, because the more people learn, the more they're going to be taken aback. Well, that's, that's uh, excellent. So, I mean, the first clue was actually in the emergency room when they when I they suggested admitting her. I said, well, then I'll be staying with Grace. And they said, you can't. And I said, well, what's the reason? And they said, we don't allow uh, visitors in the COVID wing. I said, well, then I'll be taking Grace home. And then the attending nurse came back after two hours and she said, we had a meeting and decided you can stay as long as you don't leave the room. So that was the first incidence. Then yeah, I really expected this to just be a little vacation with my best buddy. And you know, the first day we were in the emergency room for about 10 hours. We got into the room about midnight on the 7th of October. This whole stay was a week total, October 6th through the 13th when Grace died. And the first day was really what I expected. It was, it was, it was a fun day. We ordered food off the menu, watched movies. Uh, ultimately, um, that changed pretty quick. So the, the next day, which was October 8th, a doctor came in at eight o'clock in the morning and said, you're gonna to need to put your daughter on a ventilator in the next two hours. What? And I said, well, what is that decision based on? And he said, we did a blood gas draw last evening. And so then I asked, well, what time? And he said about 1130. And the time period roughly two to three hours before 1130 the night before, me and two of the nurses basically worked pretty hard with Grace to get oxygen situated. I perceived it as an emergency. I mean, obviously, other, otherwise I wouldn't have taken her in. And Grace was on a regular cannula, but then they decided to switch her to a high-flow cannula, which a high-flow cannula shoots no or oxygen up your nostrils at about 40 miles an hour. So it's irritating. So that was irritating Grace. And she she didn't want that in so i mean i didn't blame her so then we started getting her situated with a bipap mask and they only had adult sizes and so i brought out her cpap mask and showed them what we need and ultimately the whole process was pretty stressful on grace to the point that as i explained to the doctor at the time you guys took the blood gas draw grace's blood pressure was up to 235 over 135 and her heart rate was 150 beats a minute 
So I told him that story that I just told you and said, I, I think you need to retake the blood gas draw because it's not objective. So they did and Grace was fine. So we dodged the ventilator bullet at that point. And at that, shortly after that, meaning shortly, meaning five, 10 minutes, the attending nurse started crying. And so I talked with her and the doctor told me when I asked him the prognosis of a ventilator, he said only 20% of people walk out alive and they're put on a ventilator. And at this point, before he said that, I had the, the mentality that a ventilator is just a tool in the tool chest because I believe President Trump unknowingly got the entire country thinking, you know, we have a ventilator shortage and we've got to get these things. We're converting factories to produce them, blah, blah, blah. Well, that really was uh, created a, a mindset that I thought a ventilator was fine. Well, that quickly changed when this nurse was crying because she knew if I made that decision, Grace was going to die. So then I had my laptop in the room. I started researching ventilators and found out that it's really closer to 15% of people walk out alive. Hmm. And of those 15%, most of them die in the first year because of damage the ventilator did to their lung. So then at that point, my wife and I decided, you know, we're not doing a ventilator. This doesn't make any sense. And again, Scott, this is, this is a mere 24 hours after you guys are ordering off the menu and watching movies together. How was she, how was she breathing on that first day? Unassisted and all right, or just, uh, she she was great. She was just on a regular canyon. So they go from, they, they go from that to irritating her with oxygen and then taking these, these, uh, these, um, you know, these blood draws that can't be, um, that can't really be trusted because they've been so heavily influenced by stress. And then based on those, they're trying to put her on a ventilator. Absolutely. I mean, it was crazy. And, you know, I didn't realize, you know, after the fact, you know, I've done so much research and you don't realize, well, what are they doing? What is the motivation here? And, you know, after the fact, I found out in researching the amount of money that they make when a patient or the advocate chooses to be on a ventilator, it's in the $300,000 range. So then you can understand why they were pushing it. And they they requested Cindy and I make a a pre-authorization or a pre-approval for a ventilator four other times subsequent to that event. So that event, they had you know some justification for it, which we found out was a lie. But these other times, they were just wanting a pre-authorization so then they could put Grace on a ventilator whenever they chose. And they told us these type of things tend to happen in the middle of the night when you can't get a hold of the family. So they were kind of like um, um, selling a you know like a you picture a used car salesperson. Um, you know, it was, you know, they really wanted us to make that decision. So, you know, and it was obviously financial because Grace was never at a point of even being close to a ventilator. Wow. You know, the, the story that you referenced introducing this happened the next day, which was October 9th. You know, there's, there's 50 stories. I'm just hitting the high point so people can get a sense for, you know, what things, what things were like, but there was an overall aura of, um, and I would call it the culture. There was a culture, a know-it-all type culture, and and I would describe it this way with with this this these couple of examples. So I I called it 110 percent when I started writing my my notes on this because they would say multiple times, "We've been doing this for two years. We're given 110 percent." You know, they treated me like a dummy. They wouldn't keep me abreast of what's going on. I mean, I I was involved. So I mean, this is how I I. Uh, I was able to keep abreast, but 
you know, they they really had this know-it-all type attitude. The the head COVID doctor, he came in the room one time to evaluate Grace. I happened to be in the bathroom when he came in, and he says he's in the room. I said, just wait 30 seconds. I want to talk to you because uh, I was just finishing up. I just washed my hand. He would not wait, and instead he called me back on the phone and was so arrogant. I told him, you know, I realize you think you're a god, but I don't think that. And if you don't stop talking to me this way, I am going to hang up on you. I mean, you know, it, was you, that, it Scott, was that bad. You know, I this, see, this is the problem a lot of, I've had just with so many people, including members of my own family in these, these situations, whether it be COVID-related or not in the last three years. In normal times, if somebody had to go to the hospital for something, whether it be appendicitis or uh, a knee surgery, whatever the hell it is, friends and family would be at the hospital in shifts around the clock holding doctors and nurses accountable and not 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 this and that's not even to say that we're we're you know we're watching after these doctors and nurses it was just there was they knew the, 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 i think it held everything in orbit knowing that there's going to be family there's going to be friends there's going to be people of all types of backgrounds asking questions asking intelligent questions it keeps the doctors and the staff on their heels and and it, it it keeps everybody in balance there, and they, that's just not the case anymore. There's nobody. There's no accountability, and there has been a really really um, artificially in, uh, inflamed sense of ego that is um, would maybe be a little bit more tolerable if they worked in fast food and not everybody else's lives, you know. So I, it's it's turned hospitals and schools into camp-like situations that are very uncomfortable, especially when people's lives are hanging in the balance. Um, can you please talk yeah, about, what about the, go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, no, well, I was just want to say that's, that's spot on. So when you hear the details of the story, think through, they did this while we were there. So we're, we're less than one-tenth of one percent of the population was in the room during these situations. So what do you think happened with all these other COVID deaths that were not there. So, I mean, multiply what I'm telling you with the story by tenfold, and that's how your loved one was treated. Well, let's go, let's take this a, a, a step even deeper, because it's one thing to look, I think by May of 2020, uh, some of those more honest reports, which were then buried, we were already learning in late spring of 2020 that over 80% of people who went onto the ventilators were, were killed by the ventilators, that their, their lungs were being exploded. And we started to realize back then, and some doctors and nurses were coming out, our protocols are dangerous, they are not helping. So um, for those of us who were willing to be honest about this, all the evidence w- was there. But this goes even deeper for you in the way that, uh, am I getting this right? The doctors actually put in their own DNR, their own do not resuscitate order for, for Grace? That's right. And when we get into her timeline of the last day, we'll, we'll cover that, which I can, I'll just quickly buzz through then. The, um, one, other, one other piece is, you know, so people get a sense for how they set this up. So this whole ventilator thing gets set up. So, um, and it's done by re- arbitrarily reducing the oxygen saturation level on the machines. So the next day on October 9th, uh, Grace wanted to eat. I started feeding her. The nurse came, comes in and says, you can't do that. I said, what's the reason? She said, well, her oxygen saturation is only at 85%. 
I had all of my COVID materials in the room because I was expecting to get COVID. So I had my own finger monitor. I put it on Grace. It read 95%. So I called the nurse in. I said, is my meter accurate? She said, yes. And I said, well, why is my meter reading 95 and your expensive machine is reading 85%? And she, uh, she said, because the leads get sweaty. So then I said, well, if that's a known fact, why don't you proactively change these leads out or whatever you need to do to have an accurate reading? Since this is the primary statistic you're using to manage my daughter's care. And she snottily responded, you should just be thankful you caught this. Well, now we're wise to the oxygen. So now we were monitoring this. I say we, myself and my daughter, Jessica, because we got transitioned into Jess here in just a minute. And, you know, so on Grace's last day, there was a 49.49% differential between our reading and the hospitals. So you process, if you're wise enough to get the records after you get the call that Uncle Joe just died, and then you start piecing together, they will have the oxygen saturation such that the only way they could fill the gap is with a ventilator. So their records justify their event and they can they can falsify them right in front of your nose if you're not monitoring it yourself and still at that at that point you were lucky that you caught it you're exactly. just lucky. I mean, you're, you're lucky that you I, I, I my, my gosh wow and so then you know because of these type of things and many other ones october 10th comes around which is a sunday sunday morning seven o'clock the head nurse came with an armed guard and said you need to leave immediately and so, you know, I wanted, don't want to waste any time on that just because there's so much to cover. But ultimately, I was escorted out by an armed guard. Then we had 44 hours without coverage. So we had to hire Grace's special needs attorney to negotiate my daughter, Jessica, to come in as a replacement advocate. So my wife couldn't do it because she had COVID. So now 44 hours without coverage, they took that opportunity to they started a sedation med called Presidex on October 9th, unbeknownst to us. And then they used that opportunity of no coverage to increase the Presidex, which is a sedation med. They increased it seven times during that, that window. You know, this is, it's sick beyond belief. One of the, we had a medical malpractice nurse review the records and they, she said her conclusion was they chemically restrained Grace with Presidex, which set up her last day. Presidex, all these drugs have what's called a package insert, which are the rules they're supposed to follow. The package insert for Presidex says to not use for more than 24 hours. It's an anesthesia drug to knock people out for surgery. The anesthesia nurses who know what Presidex is say it should never be used more than three hours. They had Grace on it for four full days before her last day. So now we get into Jessica's in the room with Grace the day before. Grace has a good day in spite of being sedated. Um, before Grace goes to bed, just just sits her up, calls her her two boys, Grace's nephews, and Grace hollers to them through the BiPAP mask, "Hi boys!" and waves to them. You know, just like Grace, typical Grace. She's a great kid. Uh, just monitored her oxygen that entire evening. Uh, through the night, it was 98 to 99 percent the entire time. Um, the doctor. Now we jump into Grace's last day, and we'll eventually get to this DNR question that you asked. Is this it's maybe the most egregious piece of it. I don't know, there's so much here that you can make the decision. But you know, as I set this up, I want you to think through the lens of, was this intentional, premeditated, what's going on? Because you know, your listeners don't know me from Adam. 
uh, that's why we have this research. But I'm going to walk through it all on Grace's website under the tragedy tab. And so then you can study this on your own and make your own conclusion uh, because the information I'm going to present is right out of the reports. I mean, I didn't, none of this is made up. It's all stuff that came right out of the reports. So I can tell this story. Uh, and it's, it's hard to even grasp. So, you know, you make the judgment call after hearing this. So eight o'clock in the morning, roughly, the doctor called Cindy and I at home. And the purpose of his call was the evening before he presented the fourth time that they wanted a pre-authorization for a ventilator. So we said no again. And so then he said, well, Grace had such a good day yesterday. I think we should put a feeding tube in. And so why a feeding tube? So we agreed to this foolishly, but I, it wasn't foolish at the time. But, you know, you look at things, you see, well, what's the reason she needed a feeding tube? Well, as I originally said in the oxygen situation, they wouldn't let me feed Graves. They also wouldn't let Jessica feed Graves. And the nurses barely fed Graves. I had challenged this while we were there or while I was there. There's absolutely no reason Grace couldn't be fed. I mean, she couldn't feed herself because she had a BiPAP mask on. But I watched how they did this when they, they swabbed her mouth because the BiPAP dries her mouth out. And what they would do is they'd take the BiPAP off they would put the high flow cannula on, but instead of having it go at 40 miles an hour, they would dial it down to low pressure so Grace could tolerate it. Then they would do her mouth and it was all fine. I'm watching this and seeing, well, this is how you got to feed her. And they would refuse. I said, all you have to do to feed her is do exactly the same thing that the nurses do when they come in and get Grace's mouth in shape because it's dry. And they said, nope, the doctor ordered that high flow cannula it only can be at 40 miles an hour and obviously it's not literally 40 miles an hour but it was a setting of 40 and all they need to do is dial it down to a setting of 10 that didn't impact the oxygen hardly at all and she could have been fed but they were lazy they didn't want to take care of grace and so then ultimately now she's malnutritioned which motivates the doctor to say well we should do a feeding tube because grace had such a good day so now jessica says to the nurse who's in charge that day, she was a 14-year ICU nurse. This is a significant fact because when you hear this combination of meds, what might go through your mind is that, well, this is a mistake. Well, it's not a mistake when a doctor has to order the meds, then a second doctor has to sign off. The computer sends a siren warning because you're not supposed to combine these meds, so they had to override the warning. And then a 14-year ICU nurse had to put the meds in the IV. So, I mean, that combination of events, the doctor who reviewed Grace's records with us originally said, she, it's so egregious, she thinks it's intentional because you can't do this. I mean, who would do this to somebody? So this, so, so this combination of three drugs that you're about to, that you're about to uh, talk about, this was something that even the computers flew up a red flag about with combining all these. That's correct. I mean, I wasn't there to see the computer, but you know, now we have experts involved with Grace's case, you know, and they're shedding light on things that you don't know as a common, you know, just as a dad, hmm. uh, you know, but the, if you just process it, it makes sense. There would be an alarm to, you know, so if there's contraindicated meds that you're trying to give a patient, you know, it would set off an alarm, which makes sense. So anyway, Jessica now uh, says to the 14 year ICU nurse that she's going to take a shower. There's a shower in the room. Remember when I was in the room, they said I couldn't leave. So I showered in the room, it was no problem. 
She says to Jessica, you cannot shower in the room. You have to go home. So Jessica did not challenge that because she was afraid because her dad, me, just got kicked out uh, three days earlier for challenging the, the foolishness. And anyway, so now she goes home. She's back inside of an hour. As she's gowning up, she overhears the two doctors uh, in the hallway along with the 14-year ICU nurse say, the family's not gonna like this. So she said, what aren't they gonna like? And they said, well, we had to restrain Grace while you're gone, which means strap her down to the bed. And so she says, well, what's the reason? And uh, they said, well, because she wanted to get out of the bed and go to the bathroom. They made her poop in the bed. This process that. One of the attorneys we work with said to me, Scott, do you think you would have had to uh, poop in the bed? I said, absolutely not. I would have made the nurses do their job, which is help me out of the bed with my garb on the IV and help me into the bathroom. But Grace, one of the podcasters said, Grace died a martyr's death, which, you know, this is an example. She just was obedient and, you know, that she did what they asked to do while Jessica was, was gone. Well, they ultimately used that as an excuse to ratchet up this Presidex drug, another step. Then shortly after that, instead of waiting, the attending nurse challenged the ICU nurse to wait till Grace's numbers rebound to put the feeding tube in. They didn't wait. Instead, they put the feeding tube in next and use that as the excuse. Of course, Grace is agitated now. I mean, anybody would be. They're putting a, a tube down your nose into your stomach. Now they took Grace's Presidex at, and took it to max dose. At 1048 that morning on her last day, she's at max dose Presidex. This, at this point, Jessica said, which makes sense. I mean, Grace was knocked out. It's, you know, it knocks you off for surgery. So Grace wasn't having surgery. They knocked her out to kill her. And this is easily proven now that you, when you hear the next combination. So at 1125, 37 minutes later, they give her a dose of lorazepam, which is an anti-anxiety med. Well, Grace has zero anxiety. She's knocked out. At 546, they gave her another dose. At 549, another dose. And at 615, they gave her a two milligram dose of morphine as an IV push, which means instantly. So in 29 minutes, she had that combination of meds that would have taken you and I out. Jeez. It's sick beyond beyond belief. Uh, you know, so the, the package insert for morphine, again, they're supposed to follow the package insert. It says to not combine those drugs because it causes death. Furthermore, it says that they're supposed to have the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. After they gave Grace the dose of morphine at 6.15, Grace was uh, um, died at 7.27. So an hour, hour and 15 minutes later, she died. During that hour and 15 minutes after they gave her the dose of morphine, not one medical professional stepped foot into that room. And when you hear the next piece, you just, well, it's hard. It's what I just told you is unbelievable, but it gets substantially worse. So now, Jessica is, she's holding Grace the whole time. She senses Grace is getting cold. So she goes out in the hall and asks the 14 year ICU nurse to do a temperature on Grace. And she said, that's normal. Just put a blanket on her. Now, you know, Jessica is really starting to get worried. She's asking for these nurses to help. Nobody would come in the room. So she called Cindy and I on a FaceTime call at 720 and said, dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. She said, they won't, not, they won't come in. I've been trying. So Cindy and I holler through the phone, save our daughter. 
and they holler back, she's DNR, do not resuscitate. And we holler back, she's not DNR, save our daughter. The nurses the, the nurses are hollering back through the, the, the nurses are saying this to you, she's DNR. Yes, the nurses are hollering back, she's DNR. We said, she's not, this is the first we knew she's DNR. How'd she become DNR? Jessica runs out in the hall to find out what's going on. A nurse has it right on her computer screen and reads it off that the doctor ordered a DNR. We can't do anything about it, which you, you just process just that fact pattern. That, that fact pattern violated. A, so for a DNR to be valid in the state of Wisconsin, either the patient or the patient power of attorney has to request it. So obviously Grace didn't request it. My wife didn't request it, who was the power of attorney for healthcare. Then the doctor's supposed to explain the consequences of the DNR, then put a re written DNR order in place for the patient or the patient power of attorney to sign. None of this happened. Then they're supposed to put a bracelet on Grace documenting that she's DNR. Then, if even if all of that happened, if the patient or the patient power of attorney tells you to override the DNR, they're supposed to override it. And it's an oral authorization overrides the DNR. So even if Cindy would have put a DNR on Grace or a doctor or anybody, which the doctor did it illegally, are saying she's not DNR, save our daughter, overrode it. So we watched Grace die at 727 on FaceTime. Subsequent to, to this, I'm gonna tell you a couple more pieces of that story just to, to connect the dots 100%, but I wanna go on this DNR thing because this is fairly new information. I mentioned this medical malpractice nurse. So when, when we met her, she said, you know, I had a couple hundred pages of records. She reviewed them and she said, Scott, you're missing at least a thousand pages. I said, well, how can that be? I requested everything. She said, that's how they do it. You got to know exactly how to request them. So she helped write up another request. I sent that, got the records, 948 pages. On page 853 of 948, we found the smoking gun. At 1056, remember at 1048, Grace was on max dose precedence. At 1056, I'm re I've got it right in front of me. I'm reading it right off of here. 1056, a no code status, which is DNR, is ordered by Dr. Gavin Shokar. So what's the reason? Eight minutes after, one of the attorneys who reviewed this said, I think they, they had to cover their butts right then because they thought the precedence was going to take Grace out. And in order to do the dirty deed that they intended to do, they had to have this DNR order in place to be able to pull off this whole shenanigan. So after that, you know, after things shook out that evening, Jessica told us on top of all of this, when she ran out in the hallway, there was an armed guard out there. So what's the reason? You know, we presume it's because he wanted to prevent any nurse who had a conscience to come in and save Grace. We know it wasn't an armed guard that was there by chance because after Grace died, Jessica crawled in bed with her, holding her until Cindy got there. And that armed guard watched Jessica through the nurse's window the entire time. So now I take Cindy to the hospital. I'm stayed in the truck because I had COVID. Her and Jess cleaned Grace up. Our pastor met us there and the funeral director and after everything was done the pastor was walking cindy out in a wheelchair 
and the nurse who had Grace's belongings on a cart walking next to her leaned down and said to Cindy, me and several of the other nurses don't think Grace should have died today. That's what all of this got started based on that one nurse's comment. And now, you know, this, you know, I'm, I estimate 30 million people have already heard Grace's story. And, and, you know, I want to take it to the whole country, not just because of Grace and that she's my daughter, but, you know, people got to know what is going on. This is sick beyond belief. You know, Scott, uh, I, it, it's, it's hard for me to even contain myself listening to this. Just because we know, it, it, like you said, what's going on and how widespread it is. And then you, you mentioned those half a dozen nurses that are talking to you uh, af- afterwards. And they're saying, I, we don't believe that she should have died here today. That is a little bit more indicative of where we are all at, where many discerning people are at right now in wondering how we should approach the rest of our lives. Uh, it, it, as far as, you know, all of us, we, we grow up. Um, I don't know. We, 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 we grow up learning that hospitals are places where you can, you can trust that the best of the best are there. They're there for you. What do we do in the meantime? There's, we know that there are doctors and nurses, nurses with conscience with, that are in, in touch with their conscience. They're in touch with their, their oath to, to take care of people and to prioritize the person over these ridiculous political and murderous protocols. But, um, until those doctors and nurses find ways to set up alternative health care facilities outside of these, these I don't know, tyrannical hospital networks that you, uh, of course, know very well now, what, what do we do? I mean, sometimes hospitals are needed. It's not, it doesn't even have to do with flu symptoms. If you, if you, you break a leg bad enough or, or at all, I mean, you need somebody to set it. And uh, it, it's just horrible. There's so, it's so when you're in a situation where it's so hard to get someone out, even if you have power of attorney, doesn't mean anything anymore. This is just, um, I don't, I, I, uh, man, where do you even start with this? What are you guys doing now? Aside from getting the story out there, what is it adjoined with? Is there, is there legal action pending? Uh, is there, what else are you involved with right now? Yep. So we got two questions. One is what can you do? And then what are we doing now? So the, what can you do? Uh, I'm just going to give you a, a quick story about my hospital stay. So I went to a different hospital, uh, October 16th, Grace died on the 13th. The next day after I lived that night, the nurse came in with a little container of pills and she said, I want to go through the pill regimen. I said, what do you have in there? She said, well, I have a probiotic, a multivitamin, vitamin D, vitamin uh, C and fish oil, or no, vitamin, not vitamin C, vitamin E and fish oil. And, um, I said, well, what, I said, I don't get it. You guys don't believe in this stuff. And she said, well, we do here. And at that moment, I knew I was going to live. And the whole protocol was different. That was just the start of something completely different. So what can you do? You've got to proactively find out which hospitals in your area have been bought. And I don't mean legally bought, but have been bought by the government and which ones are truly independent following the Hippocratic Oath. So, I mean, you're, you've got to use your, your questioning skills and find out it, when it's, when it's uh, time to go to the emergency room in an ambulance ride, that's not the time to be checking it out. You got to do some homework ahead of time. And then what are we doing now? Um, so we're still doing actively doing uh, interviews. 
And you know, so that's the still the highest priority because I think people hearing this message will save lives and we hope it pricks people's hearts that they will, um, if they don't believe in God already, that you see, oh my gosh, this is, uh, this story is real and God can use our, our little buddy Grace to call you to him and start searching and find out what the truth is. And we believe Grace's story can, can get people to realize they've been duped by our government and turn their lives over to God and ultimately lead you to the only person who will never dupe you, which is God's son, Jesus. Then, you know, legally what's happening is lots of doors are opening. Um, it's a slow process legally, but uh, there's, there's some things I can't talk about on the air because they're confidential yet. Uh, we have an overabundance of evidence. Uh, so we believe this case will, will be used as probably a national test case. Um, we're not gonna take any money. That's not the goal here. We just would like to, uh, I've been convinced by Tom Renz, you know, that's one of the doors God has opened up, that a lawsuit is is a tool that we can use to stop this behavior. And so uh, we're open to that, and it seems like that is, is going to happen. On a more positive front, uh, we started a charitable foundation uh, that is just getting up and running now. So we have our 501c3 status and our whole estate was going to grace to take care of her after Cindy and I died. And so we thought of this idea uh, before we started going public with the story that, you know, what are we gonna do? And we've, we've been financially blessed and we just thought we would want to share that with, with kids whose families aren't as blessed. I mean, Grace did everything, as you can tell by, by the website. I mean, and we didn't have any restrictions. So we, when we did some neat things and we'd really like to be able to, to have Grace's light shine through other, other kids that way. So that's what we'd like to do long-term. So ouramazinggrace.net, that's how people can find out uh, about, uh, obviously, keeping, keeping Grace's uh, memory alive for those who never knew her um, in, uh, over the course of their lives, but just maybe learning about it through media and, and appearances like this, just to learn about her, learn about the situation, and, of course, all of the ongoing all the ongoing efforts that you have in in fundraising for for children and to also the efforts legally you're going to have news posted i i uh i'm sure to ouramazinggrace.net on what happens in the legal sphere with you guys going forward oh absolutely there's a news tab so i mean every time news happens we're posting that you know so that the the website is being updated multiple times a week it's it's I I can't thank you enough, Scott. And please send our love and appreciation to Cindy as well. Uh, I've learned so much about your family in the last you know couple of weeks. Like I said, I've been waiting um, I've been waiting impatiently for you guys to come on. I'd love to have you back, especially to especially when there are big um, big updates on what I know is a uh, is a a real real necessary quest that you're on right now and a, a lot of people are going to be rooting for you because as i said before this is very tragically unfamiliar what what right. people have been going through and, and just just uh thank you for coming on tonight and and sharing a little bit of your family grace and of course all of your trials since last year is there anything else you want to leave us with as we uh as we sign off for the night 
I would the thing that I would leave people with is the urgency of what I'm talking about. This is not something to sit on and wait and wait till it happens to you. You know, our human tendency is, you know, when does the smoker quit smoking? You know, obviously it's after they're diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Well, it's too late at that time. This is urgent. Uh, every one of us will likely end up in the hospital at some point in our life, and you know, I don't want. I want Grace's death to not be in vain. And in order for that to happen, you've got to take some action. So you've got to start with understanding the way we used to think about hospitals has changed. Don't trust the white coat automatically anymore. There's some that are great, but it's it's up to you to find out those great ones in your area. Incredible message. I think everybody should take, I think we have been taking that to heart more and more. It's been one of those really hard wake up moments. Um, it's been cold water to the face the last two and a half years, and it's really shaken us to the core. So uh, thank you so much again, Scott. I can't wait to keep up uh, with you and the family, and never hesitate to let me know if there's anything we can do over here from New York. Thanks a lot, Frank. I appreciate it very much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Be well. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Scott Shara. OurAmazingGrace.net. Click through the entire website. Uh, eat, contact them. Just you know, if even if you just want to, you know, share personal anecdotes or 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 well wishes, whatever. They have the foundation set up over there. And even if you just want to bookmark the website to keep up with all the news and what is going to be an ongoing um, battle for justice. And yeah, justice for one person can be justice for many. Ladies and gentlemen, that's for sure. We'll be right back for the last 15 minutes or so of this broadcast, and I hope that you are still here with me on the other end of this intermission. Thank you so much for the support. We'll be right back. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Frank. <laughs> 
I'm sure you could have guessed that there was going to be something that ticked you off tonight, but to what end? Incredible. And you know something? How many times have we heard about the people, uh, stories, people tr just trying to get out, sneak out to the American public? Uh, you know these these hospitals and schools for that matter are are very much like Iran Or China Very hard to sneak some to sneak some uh, information out uh, of wh what's going on inside We already know how the the uh, the teachers out there go nuts when people are finally able to peek behind the curtain and take a look at what they're they're doing with children. But this is another thing, and some of the information that we've had, you know, smuggled out of the hospitals over the last couple of years are those those stories that that hit over and over again of the stories of isolation and no food, and isolation to the point where nobody's allowed in, nobody's allowed out, blah blah blah. But that they keep their phones. On the other side, they keep patients' phones on the other side of the room with no access to their phones. It's just... And then when you hear these stories, these incredibly well-documented stories like Grace's story, you just imagine how bad it's been for so many people. And remember, they've got hundreds of thousands of people on this death toll. We know that we know where some of the accounting comes from, but the rest are actually—I mean, the rest are actual, you know, hospital deaths. Just now, you know where they're coming from, and everything's got a price tag, and everything's got a category that it could be listed under, and um, it's terrible. I'm getting some things in here. My buddy Phil just uh, got in touch with me. He said tragic story regarding Scott and Cindy. I could tell I could tell him a few things. Well, Phil, I'll let you know you can get in touch. I'm sure you'd love to hear it. Um, Phil's a good friend. Hello to everybody on Theta. There's a I, I I consider Theta the jacuzzi room. There's always about eight to thirteen people there hanging out in Theta. And I hope they're all having a good time. Hello to everybody on Twitch. All the moral accomplices on Twitch tonight. How you doing? And uh, on Rockfin, Rockfin, we have a tip. It's been it's been like maybe a, a week or so before uh, since we've had a tip on Rockfin. Thank you so much to Gladius Tobereth. Gladius says important story and message. I agree. Thank you, Gladius, very much. And now over here on to the super chats from Tipistream, which tomorrow night I will be we will be doing the giveaway of. The set list for set the charge and my one of my broken one of my two broken sticks Like I said, you can slay a vampire with this whatever you'd like Well tomorrow we'll do that. That's all gonna be on tip stream 
uh, regardless of where you usually contribute to the show and add in your super chats, Tipistream is automatically logged with email addresses, so I know exactly who to contact when we get a winner. And what I'll do is um, you, you send in a, a super chat, and I'll write your name down on a little piece of paper, and I'll throw it into a, a, a box or a bucket, and we'll just do an old grab bag. I'll, t I'll pull a name out thing. It'll be crude, but it'll work. All the old ways... Don't let them, don't let them fade away. Captain Castiron, a few seconds ago, said that story proves the quote, that quote, more atrocious, or more atrocities. You should say more. He says more atrocious. It's definitely a spell check thing. It proves the quote that more atrocities are done through the obedience than disobedience. God bless him, Scott, for telling his story. One of millions, I'm sure. God bless. Hello Kitty SKS. Hiya Frank, so glad you are feeling better. I hate that this is the second time people are telling me this in like a month. No, but, but Kitty, uh, thank you. I'm just saying. I haven't gotten sick in years. And all of a sudden I got the first flu in like 15 years back in April before Easter. And uh, then all of a sudden I spent a, a day on the toilet. That sucked. Not to be uh, graphic. Hiya, Frank. So glad you're feeling better. I need a favor. Today, Dwayne and I have been married for 20 years. Please give Dwayne a shout-out for putting up with me. I am not the easiest person to live with. Thanks, Frank. Well, you guys are a fantastic couple. So I'm sure that there is just a lot of give and take there, and it all balances out. I got to meet um, Kitty and Dwayne at the Dark Delight Extravaganza last year in South Carolina. And they really are a very chill couple. Now, obviously, you know, after 20 years, the chill can, uh, the chill can thaw out a little bit more, and there could be a little bit more fire. So I know I'm just getting their their best community face. But from what they showed me, very nice couple. Happy anniversary to both of you guys. Fantastic. Jesse James says, "A just a bit of support for you. Keep up, keep that game strong, brother." Thank you, Jesse. Wonderful to have you out there still. It really is. Thank you, Jesse James. Okay. Selling the farms is Grace's story. So important to spread. Thanks for having Scott on, Frank. I'm very happy that he came on. And uh, thank you to Kevin. Kevin was the one that booked Scott. I really have to thank Kevin for introducing me because that, that's how I found Scott's story. I said, absolutely. I said, yes, please. Let's get him on quickly. And um, thank you to Kevin. All right, on to Foxhole with the Pilled. Let's see, Neo says, yay, you're here. Yes, here I am. Doug Simi, good evening. Good evening, Doug. River Pike, thank you. Kajoops? Uh, Kajoops? Kajoops, I don't know makes sense to somebody. Thank you so much for the can. Disappointed Mom says, I'm in Ardle's... Addle's. Ardle. <laughs> I'm in Addle's neck of the woods. Voted Barnett for Senate and Mastriano for Governor. Fingers crossed. I wonder when we're going to get those results. Probably by like 10 or 11, right? Well, that's in a traditional sense. Sean Joe, thank you. 
cookies all around. There's a cookie fight happening. And I want to thank you, everybody who has been having these wonderful gold pill cookie fights these uh, the last couple of weeks because we are we like to try to get around those hundred thousand. Uh, we know that we're having a good decent month with when we get around hundred thousand gold pills because that is we know that we can at least allot that just to network production and all of the the uh, the hand, the paid hands that we have now. But you guys have been so generous with throwing those gold pills around. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's made uh, a world of difference. It's far surpassed what even DLive used to be with the lemons. And that was that was really a fun time there, too. Before, uh, you know, the dark times. Before the Empire. Thank you, Sean Joe. River Pike, C. Blanche. Jay Jewel, my brother and my best friend. Murdered like grace. It's so effed up. Especially the money that's made. I'll tell you, my grandmother... Uh, there are other people... Not very close to me. That I know... Um, who were definitely taken out. Especially with the remdesivir. The remdesivir and the ventilation combination. Definitely. My grandmother's story is a, is a delicate one because, like I told you, her very advanced age, and there, she was just... I don't know. I don't know what was going on there, but they definitely cashed in. I don't know. I don't know if her time in the uh, in the hospital extended her life in any kind of artificial way beyond what she was already going through or not. But I'll tell you, somebody wrote them themselves a check by by administering the remdesivir for it didn't. It, there was no reason to give my my 94 year old grandmother remdesivir. There's no reason. So, um, that was that. Let's see. Uh, Forkum Dano says, Catching a live show. Come on, man. What's going on, Fork? And Sea Blanche continues the, uh, the parade. Thanks, Frank. God bless. And here comes Delona and Jay Jules. Thank you, guys and gals, so much. It's great to have you out there hanging with me. And yeah, a couple of people asked if it's going to be a short show tonight. Yeah, well, sometime around 8, I don't know, it's 8.15 now. I'm going to get off in about five minutes, maybe. I have uh, band practice. We are putting together, it, thank, it's a 45-minute set now. We have a, a show on June 1st. That's a Wednesday night. So I'll be doing an afternoon show that day. Not not keen on taking any extra days off. Uh, too much sick time has accrued or has been spent this year. And um, I don't want people getting used to me being shoddy. So we're just uh, we're just keeping sharp because we did a lot of practicing for the last show on the, when was it? The 27th. That was the last show. You think I'd remember that? It was our only show in three years. But that was 90 minutes worth of, of, um, of material that we're cutting down to 45. So this should be a nice... Brief practice. Keep those knives sharp. Stostube, thank you so much for the blessing on Tipistream. It's wonderful to have you uh, blessing me like that. Let's take some brief calls. If you have something in mind, please send it over to me. 914-595-6953. Call in 914-595-6953. Try to keep your thoughts to about a minute, a minute and a half, nice and tight, so maybe we can get two or three callers in before... This short show concludes. Very uh, emotional 
show. Range of emotions from, um, you know, I, 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 just learning about grace is enough to give you a, uh, a rush of joy and, uh, and, and happiness. And then you have the sadness and then you have the abject anger, the abject anger. And that's the one thing I can say in being around for as long as I have so far and to be around people in mourning that people of faith, uh, people of faith are, are really, um, they're really interesting and they're very comforting to watch people, um, go through grief and to, to rely so heavily on their faith and to, to find solace in that, that, that in itself is, is very comforting to me. And it, I think it keeps a lot of people calm. Uh, a lot of people come, especially the fact that we're all going to lose a lot. We're all going to lose a lot as time goes on. Even if the world was in perfect condition, we were set up to gradually lose more and more as time goes on. And then, and then the uh, the big dance. But there's a difference hanging out with people who are tethered to nothing, and those who are completely invested in a life beyond this one and that makes it a, a lot easier to bear it really does 914-595-6953 or you can jump into the discord let's take a call from chris chris how you doing hey frank what's up hey what's going on so what's your what's your thought tonight uh what a what an awful awful story is is, is really what, what it comes down to um and i'm just going to share my brief you know my best friend's a fiance, one of my very good friends, her grandmother went into uh, a similar situation where she went in, she had like a cold or something like that, and the family had to say goodbye to her via FaceTime. And I've never thought, you know, through this entire thing, I just used that as a, as a, as a mindset. Because people who told me that the masks work, they need to, I said to them, well, if the masks work, why aren't people allowed to be in there in the hospital while their family members are going through this? And, and I'm not saying that as like a, you know, this is how it should be, but in all, it's just a, it's an awful story. And, and I said in the chat, this, this man has every right to burn that building to the ground and, and take the biggest fucking shit on the pot, on the ashes of that building and, 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 and basically considered a nuclear waste zone. Nobody should ever have to go near that building. And, and the things that they did to this family are just awful. You know, I feel the, the person, I, honestly, you feel bad for the whole family, but the person I feel the worst for is probably the sister who, who had to be there for, for something like that. You know, it's, it's such a kick and it, it's, it's awful to see, you know, people even have to put up with it. And then when you hear the story, actually, you know, with, you know, the, the, the legal talking and everything like that and the way that it was actually, you know, implemented and done is this, this girl was definitely, you know, I, I don't I can't think of a better word to say it, put down for the, for the dollar is basically what she was. And, you know, I, I wish that family nothing but the best. And I hope they, they, yeah, I know no amount of money is going to make that girl come back or make her memories come back. I hope they get every single penny that they can out of that hospital. And like I said, and if they buy it and own it, I hope they burn it to the ground. That's wow. all I can say. And, and like I said, I wish them the best and nothing but the best. Thank you. Thank you for the call, Chris. It's great to hear from you. And uh, I, I think a lot of people are probably feeling that way, especially right now when things are so raw. Um, yeah, but, but you know money's not a, uh, not a motivator for him, for Scott and his family, though they, they are they are going to 
try to to make a make good impacts for for children as he said through some kind of foundation work everything can be found on their website that is uh, that's what you have it elizabeth socal what's going on hey um boy this just really tugged at my heart um 40 years i worked in the icu and i was the nurse specialist when a lot of these things would happen and I'm telling you, I've seen the best in humanity in the hospitals, but Frank, I have also seen the worst of humanity in the hospitals. And uh, this kind of stuff, unfortunately, has been going on a lot longer than COVID. COVID just brought it to the surface, and thank God that it did. But uh, what happened to this young lady is um, what we call underground. A word we have for it is snowing in the hospital. Uh, they purposely gave her a narcotic that they knew would stop her respirations. And uh, this well, has been going on, like I said, for many, many years. And it's- Wait, Elizabeth, let me, hold on, Elizabeth. Let me just interject real quick. What, what was the term again? Snowing, it's S- called snowing. And you would have to be an insider to understand that terminology. Why so snowing? Say that to right her. Uh, because it gently puts them to sleep. Like when you go outside, um, you know, like how, how a death is in the cold where, you know, you could just go to sleep and then you freeze. Oh. Well, that's kind of, you just gently put them to sleep. It's euthanasia is what it is. Jeez. And it's done to, the patient has to be uh, declared terminal first. Hence, that's why they put her no code. The only way they could legally snow this patient was they had to be considered terminal first. And the only way this patient could be terminal was to be declared a no code. And that's why they did this. This was all on purpose. This was by design, Frank. It was all by design. There's, there was no accidents or not even, excuse my French, fuck-ups. This was not fuck-ups. This was on purpose. Elizabeth, there's so, many, there's so many people right now that are, um, and it, it's, this is an understatement. Many are very, are very worried about what their future holds because we just don't know. You could be in the best of health. And tomorrow you can wake up with a shooting pain in your stomach and, you ha- and a gallbladder has to come out. A, uh, you know, something, something that needs professional specialized attention that you just can't do at home with a little bit of iodine and, uh, and, and, and whatever else. That you just need a specialist. It's always been that way. And, and as you get older, the, the, the chances of that happening, as Scott said himself, keep growing. Uh, as somebody who has been in this line of work for decades and has seen the best and worst what what are your concerns do you do you feel those same types of things right now i mean maybe you're a little bit better suited to go into a situation like that if you are the one if you're the patient maybe you know the lingo and 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 what to how to advocate for yourself if you're conscious but what do you think is uh, what we're really facing as a uh, as a country right now, where there really is not a parallel medical system that has popped up as well as parallel social media has? Mm. So you're asking for my advice regarding the medical system. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, like because uh, that's the case. Yeah, I, I'm my true advice is stay out of the goddamn hospital. Stay out of the hospital because otherwise you are dependent on the humanity that's left in man and pray pray when you go in because the value of human life is worthless now it's worthless 
Yeah, just like, and you see it all throughout society, just not in the hospital. You know, we can go into the abortion issue or a thousand other issues, but yeah, it's all about the Benjamins and um, be be very prudent before you go in the hospital and make sure you do your homework. That's the best thing I can tell you is to do your homework and have somebody that's got strong medical knowledge on speed dial that can help you advocate for yourself and to talk through, you know, these things. Because otherwise, uh, quite frankly, you're screwed, mm. really. You're up to the devices of the hospital. Elizabeth, I hope that, uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy that you called in such a timely call. I'm glad that you got in tonight. Um, and thank you for the advice, and thank you for the little bit of the inside lingo there. It's, uh, it's, it's good to know. It's good to know the, these, these pre-COVID terms that were around even back then. Yeah, and so I've been a nurse since the 70s, and uh, yeah, so I, I, this terminology has been out for as long as I've been in nursing, so like I said, this is nothing new, nothing new. Have a wonderful night, Elizabeth. I hope to hear from you soon. Okay, thank you, Frank. Okay, didn't mean to depress you guys. Oh, no, Have that's, night. no, <laughs> thank you. I, I think the more the more knowledge the better, and I think that's all we have for tonight. It's 827, so I have to wrap this up in the next three minutes. I I know that is very uh, that's grim what she says that human life has no value anymore. I I, I know uh, Elizabeth is watching this been watching this show for a while. She's called in a few times, uh, and she's also emailed me a bunch as well. So I know when she says that she means in the eyes of the system. Now we know that human life has value. At least human life has potential. Some people take that potential and squander it and turn themselves into worthless animals. But as far as the system goes, there, uh, yes, it, it, is, it is more and more anti-human. It is more uh, and more feels like a slaughterhouse. It just, that's just what it feels like. And I know that in talking in these extremes, it clouds out that there are a great many people in every hospital that are 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 that that can see what the hell's going on and they they see a calling of theirs has led them into a viper's den and they don't know what to do except tell grieving families moments after their loved ones die we don't think that they should have died here today and maybe that's the best way that they can work in this in this in this sense to try to get secret messages out to people. Hey, listen, I I, I think I I'm just a lowly whatever. I can't do anything. Go out and and tell people or get a lawyer. Do this this and that. Maybe you don't have any leverage. Maybe that's the best you can do. Uh, I'd rather have 24 nurses inside of a hospital staffed by hundreds that are that are uh, are looking out for me than none. You know, I don't want them all to quit on principle and have nobody in the hospital if we must go there one day. And it's just, you know, me and Lauren, we, we went to the, the boardwalk today. I was feeling, I was feeling good enough. I knew, I asked Lauren what she was doing in the morning with the baby. And she said, I'm going to take her down to the beach, to the boardwalk and just go for a walk. I said, I'm going to go with you. I feel good enough. And I think I have an idea of what I'm doing on the show tonight. So I can spare an hour and a half. And we went down there and there was this nice old lady. Well, I don't know if she's nice. We didn't really talk. But there was a very old lady. There you go. A very old lady. Let's nix nice. Replace it with very. Very old lady. Looked to be in her 90s. In a wheelchair being pushed by her aide. 
and me and Aurora and Lauren were all on this bench right there on the boardwalk looking out at the uh, at the sound and Aurora turns around like she always does and she goes hi at the uh, at the lady in the wheelchair and her aide and of course her aide is just so like hi how are you and she you you can tell that the aide was doing what she was called to do the nurse the staying nurse the living nurse was doing what she was called to do this very sweet sweet skinny short black woman that was just she was and, and you knew that too because and me and Lauren were talking about it there was there's no requirement for a woman caring for this elderly lady to pack her up into a vehicle or whatever with her uh, you know she she doesn't walk on her own to go down to the beach to bring her out to let her see the sun to let, to let the sun fall on her face again you know that is those are the people that are out there and um so it's you always have to hold that in balance we know what's going on in the hospitals because we know what's going on in the schools we know what it attracts when the administration in this respect is what it is we know when the the power structure uh is what it is what kind of underlings it attracts but it does not mean that we are without allies and no matter how angry we get i always try to tell myself avoid broad, broad strokes Avoid broad strokes because the enemy paints in broad strokes to divide us. You have to avoid broad strokes. So, um, thank you, everybody, for hanging out with me tonight. Thank you to Scott Shara for being a very gracious guest and being a uh, a wonderful father and a a role model for many people out there. And I I really do send send my uh, love and prayer and condolences to his wife Cindy and the rest of his children and we are going to be following very closely what he does from here on in so ladies and gentlemen with that please email me your thoughts uh, what you had for the rest of the evening and uh, and with that being said you can also just tune in tomorrow night we have another wonderful guest Chris Ann Hall is coming on and uh, plenty of relevant things will be discussed that night thank you to Larkstar who just sent over a wonderful little uh, message of love on Rumble. Thank you. And still, Robert Sarns and Witchy Poo and uh, Stostub. Stostub dropped an EMP on us over there on Foxhole. I'm releasing the scratching because, wow, that just put us over the edge in a huge damn way. Thank you guys and gals so much over there on QuiteFrankly.tv. I will see you tomorrow night at 7. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you over and over again. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filled before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Gladius Tobereth over there on Rockfin to the wonderful cavalcade of people on... Uh, on Foxhole that are getting buried in scratchings right now. Then thank you to Stostube, to Captain Cast Iron, to Hello Kitty, to Jesse James over there on the tip of stream. And that's all I have for you until tomorrow night. See you on Wednesday, ladies and gents. Good night.